podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Stratycast. I'm delighted again to be joined by Mike and we're going to be discussing Manchester United's 3-0 win over Aston Villa from Villa Park last night. Mike, just before we started recording, we kind of briefly touched on it. That When Solskjaer first became Manchester United manager, he had a run of 14 games or so unbeaten. And I think um, it, that's, that's what ended up getting him the Manchester United job. But I think... Shortly after, it wasn't long before people said United jumped the gun. They they jumped too quick. They they, they didn't appoint Mauricio Pochettino. Now we're looking at it differently. I think United did make the right decision. We finally have a manager playing progressive football, really, and it's it's getting better over time. The results are getting better, and there's a there's a, a real belief about United right now. Before we start on the game, Mike, can you go into maybe the differences of that first run under Solskjaer? And what we're seeing now, the differences for you watching as a fan? Yeah, um, so I think first thing, and, and obviously we're, we're talking about games, we're talking about games that um, happened before the season shut down as well. So you think about it now, you're going back like several months. But I think one of the differences is, um, you talk about that sort of like that burst of good form when he came in as a caretaker. Um you, I mean, first of all, I think we've got a better team than we had when he came in. I think it's a better squad. I think it's a more well-rounded squad. I think we have more options, especially in the midfield. I think players have, uh, that were around initially when he came in as caretaker manager, you look at, have, um, have settled more. You know, people like Shaw and, and Fred look at just a bit more assured. Um I think uh, the the team is fitter. One of the things that you saw in that when we went that fourteen was it fourteen games of beaten. You were saying uh, when he first came in, quite a few of those games you were running out of steam. Um, probably in the last twenty minutes or so, we'd really run out of steam. Whereas that's not really an issue now. The other thing as well is some of those results were like false positives um, when he first came in. So some of those games you're watching, we could have just as easily been two 0 down in half an hour as then we went to win the game 3-0. Now, I know, obviously, Bournemouth, a bit of a sloppy start, but there was no question we deserved to win that game. We absolutely dominated the game, especially going forward. And it's the same with Villa. started a little bit slowly, but once we got our noses in front, just dominated the game. We could have won about 5 or 6 nil, Dale, in that game yesterday. No, easily. Uh, and I, I think a lot of this, too, is from expectations. Yes. When we came back after the pandemic, um, with the likes of Pogba and Marcus Rashford returning, and the performance, like we were really kind of squashing teams and pushing, breezing past them, pushing them away. And I think people kind of quickly um, started expecting that every week. And I'm not saying those people are wrong to expect that. What I'm saying is that's a credit to the team, to the manager, to the staff that have put this team together. 
Yes. And they're starting to look like a proper unit now. Yes. I think um, this is the thing, that, one of the other things as well. Um, I think the team looks more, it still could be better. I'm sure that's something we, we'll, we'll get into at some point. Uh, but the team is, I, I would say, is more solid now than it was when he came in. And um, also the fact that, you know, we had that really bad run of form which came after that unbeaten run when he came in. And that really carried through all the way until early January. But we got through that. And I think a lot of that was basically us having to sort of go through some necessary pain, trimming down the squad, having to change the way we play. I mentioned before about the fitness of the players. I think one thing that was very clear, especially when the form dropped off last season, was that the players just were not fit enough to play a progressive brand of football. They were not fit enough to go and compete with, you know, in the long run, if you want to go and compete in matches against Liverpool and Manchester City, we didn't have the fitness to do it. Whereas you look at when we played Manchester City in, was it March, when we played them and we beat them 2-0. Yeah. We uh, physically, I thought we really imposed ourselves onto that game, physically and athletically. And City, Guardiola teams are very, very fit size because you have to be to play that way. And we outran them, we outfought them. We, we were just better, you know, we, we did them in every department. And I think that's the difference, that we weren't able to do that the season before. And I think that is, as you were saying, that's testament to the manager and the coaching staff. And maybe uh, that was part of the reason why he got the job in the end, is that he presented a long-term plan he was going to put in place to improve the, improve the team. But I think just a better a better team, a much better unit, as you were saying, and... You know, I can look at us now, go into games and go, yeah, we'll win this game. You know, we'll yeah. win this game. Yeah, that's a big, big that's a big difference, especially if you. Uh, just one more point. I look at some of the players. I was talking about how he's. In, I think some of the players now are all around better footballers than they were then. I look at people like Martial. I look at people like Marcus Rashford. They're better footballers than what they were several, uh, you know, several months ago. I look at uh, Nemanja Matic. Now, with the right players around him, he's a better footballer. You can see the best of his game. A guy that can sit back and dictate the game. I look at um, the difference Bruno has made to... Obviously, him being a brilliant player, but he's made to Pogba. One of the things I've liked seeing what Pogba's done in the last couple of games is that we're watching him and he's he's dropping back more and dictating the game a lot more. You know, um, He's not being relied on. He's not having to do everything now. We I know think, Bruno's I the guy going forward and Pogba could drop back he can dictate the game. He can show off that range of passing he's got and the way that he can see things unfold in front of him. Makes a huge difference, that. I think White's are a Pogba spot on, but I think at 27, there was a lot of talk before when he, before he returned about Pogba's demeanour. To be honest, it, it, it had been so long since we'd seen him with a consistent run in the team. It was almost like he was still that kind of immature boy who just still hasn't become the player that we would have hoped he had. But to be honest, since he's come back as a 27-year-old, and you mentioned his new role in the team of kind of being more disciplined and sitting a bit deeper, he, he he's a man of age. Um, I, I'm looking at him on the pitch, and he's doing all the right things. I know, now, I know there was a big mistake last night, and he got let off. Um, Villa went in on goal and hit the post. But for, for the most part, Pogba... It's looking like looking like a mature footballer now, a proper centre midfielder. Yeah. Do, well, doing I, I, the right thing. That mistake things. was him taking a risk. And if you're going to play for Manchester United, 
you have to take risks. Yeah. You can't yeah. just pass sideways. What was the what's the thing that we've hated watching United for the last few years? Yeah, no no sideways. No passing. imagination. No imagination. Now you've got midfielders, you know, people at the back looking to pass the ball forwards. I remember Rio Ferdinand saying it, it was like after dinner event, he was sucking he's one of his first training sessions. He picked up the ball and he passed it sideways to Gary Neville and Roy Keane just exploded at him and said, What you Passing the ball sideways, don't pass it sideways, you've got to pass it forwards. You're not playing for Leeds now, you've got to pass the ball forwards. And you have to pass the ball forwards, you know. At the end of the day, Pogba, he's 27 years old now. Now he's at a point where, you know, listen, when he was when he was younger at Juventus, he could do the thing, you know, he scored quite a few goals. So that's because you had people like Perlo, you had Bonucci, you had Chiellini, Vidal, uh, Marquisio. People are letting midfield that just freed you up to do this when you're younger, when you're in your late teens, early twenties. But when you when you get older and you are expected to step up and become a the, the reason you know young players, some young players don't kick on is because they don't develop their game. They don't, you know, if you're if you're a player of real talent, you have to become someone that runs a game. I always think if you look at like it's a bad comparison in many ways because he's such an extraordinary player. But I look at someone like Lionel Messi. Lionel Messi runs football matches. It's what he does. You look at the kind of player Messi is now. He plays as a midfielder and he runs the game because that's what that's you know you, that's what you're going to do when you get further on in your career. You're going to be running a game, especially as a midfield player. It's so important. You're going to dictate the game. And Popper's relishing that, and the reason he's relishing that is because he has Bruno there, I think, and Bruno takes the pressure because he gets forward. And Popper also knows now with the the front three that we have and absolutely brilliant front three that he's got options so he's like yeah I can sit back I could dictate this a lot more and I think once we had a few more options uh, maybe another option at left back or something like that uh, another option up front it's only going to get better it's only it's only going to get better I mean like I said obviously he didn't answer the questions about the contract last night he was never going to answer those questions. No player's going to answer those questions in a post-match interview. They're just not going to do it. It's, yeah, and, you know, and, and, but I'm not, I'm not going to knock him for that. Like, no, and I, I talk a little bit more about this. I've spoken to people close to Paul Pogba, some people within the media, um, and just something that when I, when I watched that interview last night that kind of registered with me was Pogba doesn't do many interviews. You, you very rarely see Pogba do interviews. And we've seen, I think maybe two or three this week. Um, a big one with United before the Villa game. We've seen one after the game, and I'm pretty sure he might have done one before. But anyway... Yeah, he did that podcast as well, didn't he? The, he the did that, yeah. yeah. He, he did that a few months ago. So he, he, do, he does very little, right? So he does a post-match interview. You go and do a post-match interview, and you're pretty sure that the questions you're going to be asked are about the team and about the, the 90 minutes of action you've just endured. And I think Jeff Shreves ca- catches him on the spot when he asks him about the future. I, I think Pogba should have clear, should have really kind of uh, committed his future to United with that interview. There was a chance to do it, but he didn't do it. And maybe one of the reasons is Pogba doesn't like the English media. If Pogba's going to give a big interview about his future, he's going to give it to Manchester United, or he's going to give it to a French paper, or someone to completely... Yeah, yeah. He's not, he's not going to give it to Jeff Shrees when Jeff Shrees rudely... He, well, I'm sure Pogba would think, rudely squeezed in a question about his future when, just a week or two ago, Bruno Fernandes mm. made a big example in his post-match interview about questions being asked about 
specific players, about him and about Paul Pogba. And he said, no, it's about the team. And I have a feeling that maybe that's why Paul Pogba didn't take the mic last night and make it all about him. Yeah. He spoke about the team's mentality. He spoke about what the team need to do to win more. And to be honest with you, yeah, I, don't I did. Think... I did like that when he was talking about yeah. the interview. You I could thought see, it was brilliant. I could see that one thing I thought was maybe missing a little bit with him, although maybe it was part of the reason he, he was he was looking to leave was was the drive. He wants to win trophies. Yeah. I don't know whether whether he has become, but he, he you see it's a more. I don't agree with what Keane said, where you know saying oh Pop. No, I think Pop does want to be a dressing room leader. But he just does it in a. But he, he doesn't want to be left to do it all on his own, you know. I think uh, in an ideal dressing room, Manchester United, you have Harry Maguire there, who's the captain, and he leads by example on and off the pitch. You've got Bruno Fernandez, who I think, although we're kind of going to get to know him, he seems like a bit of a ratty type. It, he, I, I think he's going to get into quite a bit of trouble on the pitch, to be honest with you. I think yeah, there's something he's, about he's, him. He's, he's got, he's got, he's got an edge to him. Yeah. You need, you need to have that. You need to have that edge to you if you're going to be, if you're going to succeed in the Premier League. You've got to have it, man. And I think in order to get back up that ladder in the Premier League and winning titles, you need characters. And so it starts Borden Maguire. He's brought in Fernandez and he's brought in Pogba. I'm he's, not calling. He, he's also given Matic a new contract. Yeah, Matic is oh. one of those guys in the dressing room as well. All these different influences. So you've got t- different leaders, and I think that's what will really help us in our attempt to be would successful. Would you say though? Would you say Rashford's really stepped up to become a, yeah. a, a senior? Yeah. The yeah. way he fronts up to the media. I always think players that front up to the media a lot are players that you would say. Uh, um, our senior dressing room figures, and I, I that just popped into my head. The icons piece I'm writing today here's a plug, um, which is on Gary Neville. But Gary Neville was a dressing room leader. One of the ways you always knew that was the way that he was one of the main players that always fronted up to the media, mm. you know, and spoke to the media, did the post match interviews, even got involved in the press conferences and stuff. So that 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 that's how you knew, and I see that with Rashford as well. Um, oh, look, these these are all really encouraging signs. And I think as well as that, United, um, they, they broke a, a Premier League record last night. Now, just before we get into that, I don't want to be overexcited about it. I'm not going to be swinging over the, the balance they're there or, or, you know, having a big party tonight over because... I certainly hope not, Dale. You know, social distancing still matters. <laughs> you have no big parties, thank you. Exactly. But, like, okay, we, we, we won... Three consecutive games, three they were basically a winning margin of three goals at least. That's really success. That's really like impressive. Um, what Solskjaer is doing because I think w- when you come into a side and you're and you're going through a transition, you're going to have problems. You're going to have defensive problems. You're going to have midfield won't be great or won't be perfect. You're going to have probably you're not ideal front three. And he's come into this team and I think quite quickly he's after identifying his best eleven. And we're starting to see that with these results. Because I said this on the podcast before. The teams like Sheffield, things like Brighton, the teams like Bournemouth, they're the teams that we've struggled against this season to put away. And now, we're not only beating them, but we would have to play well. But we're well, bringing them we, we lost? Didn't we lose at Brighton like the previous two seasons? Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Do you know, it's, it's, they're starting to see the 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 improvement. But just, just a quite off-topic question, because you, you mentioned their midfield three already and how it's working so efficiently. Liverpool, or no, sorry, midfield three. Um, the champions, Liverpool, unfortunately. Um, 
I have a bit of a theory on their midfield that I don't think it's world class. I think their team, uh, the midfield is a midfield of grafters. If you take away their front three, their defence and their goalkeeper, and you do the same thing with Manchester United, right now, which midfield do you pick him? I would say, yeah, I would pick United's midfield. And that may be as a theory as to why Liverpool are trying to get Thiago from Bayern Munich. Because he's something that they don't have in midfield, right? Who's going to miss out, though? Because I think their their midfield unit, it's worked. It's not glorious on the eye. It's a hard grafting midfield. A a little bit like the... um, I think I compared them to the midfield that um, Mourinho had in his first Chelsea team. You know, Lampard's maybe a little bit more. But even Lampard was a grafter. You know, Lampard was a great Lampard, Estienne, and Makaleli. You know, it wasn't a flare midfield. You didn't have a, you know, there wasn't anywhere like there wasn't anyone like Pogba or Bruno in that mid, in that midfield. Um, so yeah, it is. It's a crafty midfield, and part of the reason I think part of the reason you have that with Liverpool is because you have the two the two wing backs, right? The two wing backs create so many opportunities, like Trent Alexander Arnold. He's got like twenty assists or something stupid like that this season. Andy Roberts is not far behind him either. So that's part of the reason they have that. And um, I don't know. I'm, I'm a big fan of Jordan Henderson. I think he's a little bit underrated, Henderson. I think he's a top quality midfielder, to be honest. I think he'd get in most teams. I think he'd get in most teams, to be quite honest. I think most teams would be lucky to have him. But uh, yeah, you are right. You know, I think man for man in terms of ability, you know, it's his midfield is better. But you I, have I, to I, I think to the only... midfield as a unit and how effectively it works. It's incredible, really. I think the only midfielder that I think I would take and immediately start in United midfield would be Fabinho over Matic because he, he's been really, really... I know Matic has been good of late, but Fabinho has been excellent this season. Well, I mean, I would take Kevin De Bruyne over any midfielder in the world still, to be quite honest with you. Ke- 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 Kevin De Bruyne, since when does he play for Liverpool? Oh, no, I mean Liverpool, but as a general point, I would I would <laughs> take Kevin De Bruyne over any midfielder. Yeah, yeah Fabinho's... Yeah. Yeah, Fabinho is... Um, Class player. I can't think of anyone better as a defensive midfielder than him. Yeah, I, I, I really yeah. just can't think. Um, I would have usually said Casemiro, but um, he's sort of played a different role this season. I think for Amadou, he's got forward a lot more. But I think, yeah, Fabino. I actually rate him higher than I ever rated Kante because I think Fabino is a more disciplined operator. Yeah, if that makes no, it more, so. more sense positionally. And the way he kind of marshals the other players around him. Yeah, he's, 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 he's quality. He's a great guy for them. Mike, going back to the game, taking a quote from commentary, he is some player, so Gary Neville on commentary, as Mason Greenwood powered home um, with his ter- third game, or, or he scored in his third game in a row. Um, this is an 18-year-old here, looking like he came back from the pandemic like a, like a grown man. He was quite a tin frame before, he, before we, the game was struck with suspension over coronavirus, and he just came back. Um, looking like you, Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or looking like uh, we all saw that picture of Scott McTominay, right? During the, when the players came back, yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah. ripped. Yeah, I mean, I actually when he hit that second one because there was no backlift on that shot either. He just hit it. Yeah, it's some power. It's power. And I just actually exclaimed out loud, and I think the next one who was hearing me, I just went, "Fucking hell!" Because the way it hit, it reminded me a bit. Do you remember that goal Erling Haaland scored against PSG? Yeah. Where he just absolutely smashed it. 
And, um, it, you know, I almost thought he was going to bounce back out of the net. It was, um, he's incredible. 16 goals he's got this season, by the way, Dale. If you look at his goals uh, to mi- ratio of minutes on the field, I think it's not like only Sergio Aguero has a better goals to minutes ratio on the pitch than he has. He is, man, I mean, you can't leave him out of the team right now. And this is what I was saying last week. This guy keeps going. He's in the England squad next summer. He's absolutely in that England squad. There's no way you leave him out. I mean, that you, you do wonder what kind of an attacking lineup England are going to walk into that European Championships with. They have everybody fit. You've got Sterling, Rashford, Sancho, Kane and Mason Greenwood as your attackers. That's frightening. I wouldn't be relishing that if I was an opposition defence. No, absolutely not. I'm just taking up a tweet here from Neil Costas in The Sun, which he tweeted last night. In 10 years' time, we'll be talking about Mason Greenwood as one of the greatest English footballers we've ever seen. Up there were all the greats. Yes, save this to haunt me if you wish, but I feel confident. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's um, one of the most extraordinary young talents I've seen at his age, for sure. He's incredible, really. There is definitely some similarities to... Um, well, people talk about people compared to Cristiano Ronaldo. He reminds me a little bit, actually, of the original Ronaldo, El Fenomeno, the Brazilian mm. Ronaldo. He does have a little bit of that about him. He has some of that kind of physical presence. You know that way he kind of is able to sort of like um, accelerate just through the middle of the park. Yeah, you know, just yeah. past defend. And to be fair, Cristiano Ronaldo is not too is 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 also has many similarities to the Brazilian Ronaldo. I think they're very comparable in many ways. That combination of pace, technique and physical, just brute power. power. I always go back, uh, do you remember Adriano that played for Inter Mm. as well, who was almost like a clone of Ronaldo? I remember Adriano mostly um, from Pro Evolution Soccer. Yes. He used to be on on the cover of it. And that's when I started watching him as actual player after playing with him on Pro Evolution. It was like there was just two players, again, off topic, Pro Evolution back back um, when I was a kid, there was two strikers, maybe three, because Van Nistelrooy, but there was two strikers that no matter where you were on the pitch, they were cheap It was Andriano and Shevchenko, two yeah. strikers that just shoot and it's in the back of the net. Yeah, they, they were cheat codes, and Marcus Greenwood has a little bit of this about him. He's almost like a cheat code because yeah. it's yeah. this. It's getting to the point now with Greenwood where it's like. Um, you know, I mean, remember, you know, Marcus Rashford. Marcus Rashford, he's going to, listen, he'll develop, he'll be, Marcus Rashford is going to be a world-class footballer. Um, Could this, absolutely. sorry, Mike, could this do Marcus Rashford good? Yes, because it takes the pressure off, and it's the same with Martial. Yeah. And I think that's anything. Any top-level team, Dale, you can't just rely on one world-class player. Look at Liverpool's front three. All three of those players are world-class, Dale. For we me, don't no score man, them this season. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that they're not world-class players. Yeah. I mean, Liverpool have, have not been as swashbuckling as they were previously. And that's partly because Klopp had to adjust to make the team more solid because you can't yeah. go hell for leather every game, right? You know, that was... And I think that's... People talk about Klopp's style and everything. I thought the, the, the biggest compliment you could play Klopp is the fact that he's shown more versatility in the last two seasons of Liverpool, being able to save energy for certain games, rotate the team where it was needed. But Liverpool's front three, all three of them, Dale, are world-class. It means when one isn't performing, 
you can rely on the other. So this season, I would have argued that Sadio Mane has been the best player in Liverpool's front three. He's been better than Salah this season. Yeah. And it's not mattered that Salah's not always been at his best, even though he's still scored a lot of goals, because Mane's come in. And if Mane's not scoring, it's fine, because Salah will score. Oh, Firmino weighs in with goals, and Firmino takes a bit of the work off the other two as well. You have to have balance in the team. So Martial didn't score yesterday. Bloody unlucky not to score, because he should have done. But it doesn't matter. If Rashford didn't score yesterday, okay, it's fine. Someone else will weigh in with the goals, or someone will weigh in with a goal from midfield now. You need to have... I think about United's first great team under Alex Ferguson. That was goals from all over the park, Dale. You weren't relying on one guy to get you 30 goals a season. Eric Cantona or Mark Hughes didn't get you 30 goals a season. Konchelski's got you goals. Poulin's... Roy Keane would weigh in with goals from midfield. Ryan Giggs would score even goals. When, when I was doing some research for the Premier I did a show for Premier League a few weeks ago celebrating Ruben Nisleroy. And the season before he was brought in, United won the league and Teddy Sheringham was the top goal scorer with 10 goals. You know? So I'm not saying like that's no discredit to Teddy Sheringham or anyone on the team. It shows that everyone was chipping in with goals. Yes, and I think you have to. So, so, Char, you can see with his midfield three, Matic might not score you many goals. But throughout a season, if you got Pogba and Fernandez fit, between them, I wouldn't be surprised if you got 15 to 20 goals. Yes. Really, I, I think you should be getting a return like that from, from the two of them in, in midfield most weeks. Um, what this brings us on to with Mason Greenwood and his performance last night and of recent weeks, Mike, does it put a bit of doubt into your mind about the need for Jadon Sancho and I, he's a he's a top class player we, we know that he's, he's going to be one of the best players in the world arguably and we need depth in our squad and we might be getting a bit over excited about Greenwood look he's 18 and it might not be the best the worst thing for his development if Sancho comes in for two or three years and he's learning his trade because I think while he's paying the right right now that's not where he's going to be in, in six years' time. He's going to be a centre-forward. And he's learning his traits now. And he'd be a better player for it. I think you look at the front three now and you have Mason Greenwood, Martial and, and, Green, or, and, and Rashford, whoever I missed out there, sorry. But throw Sancho into the mix. That's an 80, 70, around that mark, million signing. But if we're so happy with Greenwood, does that make sense? Uh, yeah, it still makes sense, Dale. You need depth in the squad. You need options. Um, Sancho is not. Sancho and Greenwood are different kinds of players. Um, no question in my mind. Yes, also Greenwood long term is going to be a number nine. No question about that. That's where Solskjaer sees him as well. Solskjaer sees him as a centre forward in the long term. The, the good, the thing about him now playing uh, out wide. He said it just gives him a little more freedom, right? Takes the heat off a little bit, gives him more space to play in. It's easy to find space if you can cut him off that flank. And I always suspect it's going to be part of Greenwood's game, whether he's playing in the middle, that he's going to drift out wide and come back inside and create problems for the opposition. But yeah, we should still get Sancho, although I've insisted for a while now that United's priority signing should be a top-class centre-half. Get yourself a top-class centre-half to go alongside Harry Maguire. That's the priority for Manchester United in the club season. Absolutely no doubt in my mind. As soon as Chelsea have apparently not been smart enough to buy a top-class centre-half, despite the fact that they're crying out for one, then we need to be getting ahead of the game on that one and get that player. I think you have a top-class centre-half, that's going to 
you know, you have a defence, a really strong defence, I think that's going to be more valuable. If you can get both, great, because you have to remember, Dale, there's several players that Solskjaer still wants to get rid of and get out of the club and get off the wage bill. And if you think the weight they're going to take off the wage bill alone, he's going to put some he's going to put some money into the coffers. And I think um, by the sounds of it, United have been better prepared than many other clubs to sort of weather the storm. We're not going to see the levels of transfer spending that we've seen. I mean, I suppose you could say technically the um, the Arta to Juventus was was big transfer, but you actually look at the whole deal with Pjanic going the other way, what it is, is actually clever accounting. I think the total yeah. transfer fees that have passed through is like £12 million or something. Ridiculous like that. So that's just canny accounting. Um, so, but, but just... I, I would I, I just isolating Sancho. Yeah, we should still buy him if we could buy him, Dale. We should absolutely be buying him. Like, we need to have options there, you know. And I, I think, if anything, that will only help the players that are there already because it's more competition for them. And also, it's going to encourage them, you know, and, and generally, if these players are as serious as they look right now about being successful, they'll be better for having a, a, a player like that coming in and competing with them for a spot. It's all about competition, Dale. You need to have competition. You look at your, the teams United at their best was always in your ferocious competition for places. You know, it was just like great whites all over the place, just swimming around. You, you know, you need to have that. It, it's... You know, listen, you can't be wrestling on your laurels. The moment you're wrestling your laurels is when you start to drop off. And I look at Manchester City this season as an example, Dale. I think there's been a lack of competition for places in that team. And that's why you've seen a drop off in performances. Yeah, perhaps so. Um, transfer links continue. I know we talk about Sancho there, but bringing it back into more relevance from last night's win over Villa. You've got Jack Grealish and Tyrone Mings. Now, I don't think either player really called themselves in glory. Mings was at fault for, I think, the second goal it was. Uh, and Greenwood really, as, as auditions go, I think the playmaker would be disappointed with a showing. Um, and I think Solskjaer would probably look at his midfield and say in the past few weeks, hey, buddy, you're definitely not going to be a starter in my team. But the likes of Lingard... And Phil Jones have been reportedly players that Solskjaer wants out of. Um, if that's the case with, with Lingard, okay, you take him out, but you're going to bring in a player that's not necessarily going to be starting every week. And I'm looking at the talk about Grealish and these batshit crazy figures of 70, 80 million, which won't be the case when and if Villa go down. But there's a young lad there at Ajax, Donny van de Beek, is another player of similar, similar mould. And and the fee the Real Madrid are kind of putting their nose up at post pandemic is thirty five million. I'm just weighing up here that the two quality players, one who had an audition under the nose of Oliver Solskjaer last night and didn't perform, wasted that opportunity, no? Yes, absolutely. Where does where and where does Greenish fit in that first eleven? He doesn't. The two guys who he would who he would be competing for that we saw in that game. Well, specifically the main guy he would be competing against would be Bruno, right? He's not better than Bruno Fernandes. And then let's say Bruno doesn't play one game, you rotate things around a little. If you take one of Bruno or Pogba, I think the first option that comes in is Fred, right? Fred is the next guy that steps up because of the box-to-box role that he fulfills. So let's say you take Bruno out of a game 
and that means Pogba becomes sort of the more advanced attacking player for a game. Well, he's not as good as Pogba either. So it's just like this is a an issue for that Grealish is going to have. Um, if he's okay coming in and not being a starter straight away, fantastic. But the money that they're talking about for Grealish, oh God, no, no, I'm sorry, no. Especially if if you can get Van der Beek for 35 million, mate, I would. Honestly, Van der Beek's a fantastic player. I'm a huge fan of his. He gets goals as well from midfield. Um, and I'm staggered that Real Madrid are not interested in picking him up because I, I look at... I think it's financial. Financially, I think it's the reason they pulled out because it was, it was a gentleman's agreement before this pandemic that they were going to be signing them in the summer almost. And once the pandemic struck and they realised games had to be played behind closed doors... Madrid, which they're very, very active in the media when it comes to transfers, Madrid as, as, as they're a... They're very quiet, player. haven't they, this summer? Very quiet. Uh, and they almost admitted, um, I think a week or two ago, that Danny van der Beek, the, that he is off. But just, um, with Tyro Mings was another name I mentioned. He was at fault. I've checked, um, it was it was Mason Greenwood that he, he failed to close down for United's second goal. Yes. But brilliantly, Roy Keane found a new target um, a player <laughs> which he, he, he used to look after I have a quote here so just to, to clarify Mings failed to close down Greenwood um, for the goal and Keane comes out at half time that's why teams get relegated why can't he go even two yards when your defenders defend like that you deserve everything you get <laughs> it was like what you said about Fred after the Manchester derby last season, wasn't it? It's like, oh, Gary, Gary, it's two yards, man, two yards. <laughs> he was furious, absolutely furious. That's what three months, three months have been, at least he didn't have the crazy hair this week like he had the other week. But um, him and Patrice Ever are my favourite television double acts, by the yeah. way. Just great television together. Um, it's like... Um, I mean, it, it, it was like, the thing is, it's almost a little bit... It, it's definitely put on a bit with Keane because he knows he's, he knows people think that's great television and he knows what he's doing when he does it. But it was a good point. I mean, he should have closed him down. I always said this with a, I said this with a, the, the penalty. You know, yes, it was a poor decision. Although by the last of the law, it was a penalty. But this this is a whole other debate you've got to go down where I've said ever since VAR came in, you need to change the rules. You need to loosen the rules up a bit, right? So let more things go. But why is the guy letting Bruno turn on the edge of the box? Don't let a guy with his back to goal turn on the edge of the box. Why? It's basic stuff. And this is why Villa are in the position they are this season, because they have conceded too many goals. Mike, what was Bruno Fernandes supposed to do there? Um, because well, He's, he's I... going to do what any attacking player is going to do in that position. If they see an opportunity to win a penalty, they're going to try and win a penalty, no, right? But... But before, before that, before that, well, as he's going in, you know, I, I, I'm reacting quite angry to this because I don't know why the Premier League felt the need to come out last night and during match of the day after the game and basically say that it was a wrong decision. I don't remember Premier League really doing this ever before and um, coming out after a game. Because Manchester after... United and we're back, Dale. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But they did do it in the, in the Everton game as well. They mentioned something. I just think... It puts even more pressure on VAR. And we're trying to get it right. Trying to get it right. And I think it was a soft penalty. But what I was mentioning was when Bruno Fernandes has the ball and he's going towards the box and he's, he has to turn because he has to get away from the defender. In order to do that, does the defender, does he not stick his leg out and not win the ball? That's exactly what he does. Now, Bruno Fernandes might stand on his leg, yeah. but it's, it's almost an obstruction. 
And that's why I think the penalty was given. But how does the referee say that's a penalty? VAR checks it, doesn't reverse the decision. Mm-hmm. But then the Premier League says it's the wrong decision. So who like who, who says that? Is VAR wrong? Referee also, wrong? the Premier, Premier League don't make the rules of the game. The Premier League is just the body that sets up the league. It's the FA that sets the rules but for so association why? football. Why Premier would the League Premier League doing ask? this? This is it, the Premier League trying to throw their weight around there. That's what that's what that's what this is trying to assert themselves. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm a great cynic in the role of the Premier League and, and the administrative role that they play. Look, what this VAR highlights and has highlighted is the fact that the rules of the game as we have them now are not fit for purpose. They need to be wholesale overall. They need to change the offside rule, make it more clear cut. You know, this whole thing, someone's got like one finger offside and then they're, they're offside. That's insane. Like it should be if a, play, if a player, it, it, it's basically you have to say, okay, we're basically saying if the player's if the player's got one leg and their torso is offside, then they're offside. If we're just saying they've got a, like a toe over the line, you can't give that as an offside. That's crazy because no one's yeah. going to know. Even the defenders aren't going to know whether that's offside, and the line's going always... to be able to see it. And yeah. you always got to look at uh, you got to look at tackling about what is and isn't a foul. I think you have to reassert that. Um, I think you need to basically have open microphones. This is a great opportunity. This. Coming back without the fans, there's a great opportunity to open microphones to hear the communication between the referee and the video assistant referee. Why don't we have that? Like you have it in rugby. It makes so much sense. It would speed up the decision making process as well. This would be a chance to trial run this stuff now before you get the fans back into the ground. And they haven't taken this opportunity. And this is, I have a bit of an issue with this. This is a, foot, this kind of exceptionalism that football has that he thinks he doesn't have to change. He's better than everything else. You do have to change. You know, football is a different game than what it was even 20 years ago. It's faster. It's players are more athletic. Players are fitter than they've ever been. They're quicker than they've ever been. The game is played at a higher pace than it's ever been played before. So you have to adjust the rules of the game. You know, people got sick of defenders taking the piss in the 80s, passing the ball back to the goalkeeper, and the goalkeeper picking it up and rolling it out. So they brought in the back pass rule, right? And it made the game better. It made it a better spectacle. Um, I mean, I insist it's one of the reasons Liverpool didn't win anything for the next 30 years because <laughs> they couldn't do the classic Liverpool tactic of just passing the ball back to the goalkeeper. Goalkeeper picks it up and rolls it out. Um, these things made the game better and now they need to take the chance. They should have taken this time out and had a look. OK, let's have a look at the rules of the game. And this is FIFA have to take responsibility for this as well and say, what do we need to do to make this game better and actually more up-to-date and more in line of where the game needs to be in 2020. And they haven't done it. They've just left everything as it is and just basically inserted VAR into this situation. And it's a mess. So, obviously, just before we move away from, from that penalty decision, can I get your verdict on whether it should have stood or not? By the letter of the law, Dale, yes, it should have stood. End of the rule. That's the end of the debate. By the letter of the yeah. law, it's a penalty. You know, yeah. People want to argue about whether the, the law needs to be changed. I'm on board with that. Yes, check, out, check out my Twitter after the podcast, O'Donnell Dale, because uh, I retweet, quote retweeted someone last night that their take on the penalty was basically that Bruno Fernandes should have at least seen yellow or been sent off. That's, I didn't see that. I think that person should have their Twitter account suspended for being silly. There uh, you go. And so listen, as, not- I, as, I, as I put... 
on the podcast just like yesterday, I said it was a penalty. Stop being silly. Yeah. Less of a law, it's a penalty. Just deal with that. Quickly, um, Mike, next up will be, I suppose, reviewing the game against Southampton next week. Uh, Monday night, 8 o'clock, United are at home to the Saints. Can I get a quick preview? Yes, this could be this this could be the toughest game I think we we've um setting aside the Spurs game which was the first game back. This will be the toughest game that we've had, I think. Saints look uh have been actually pretty good since since coming back from the lockdown. Um and I think Ralph Hasenhutl has shown himself to be I think since he's come in one of the best coaches in the Premier League. People forget Southampton were dead and buried when he got in. And to actually get them to where they are now is quite incredible, really. He's um, You look at Danny Ings. Danny Ings is going for the gold boot this season, so he's definitely a player that we need to be uh, wary of. They've got a fantastic midfield player, um, Pierre-Emile Hoiberg. He's a really, really good player they've got in the midfield. He really is good at dictating the game. Um, but Bo- uh, Manchester City have actually been interested in bringing him in as a Bayern because he's, he's that good. And in fact, he was on Bayern's books for a while. Um, so he's he's a really, really good player. Um, and yeah, Alisson Hootel, for me, is one of the best coaches in the Premier League. Could be a tough game, this. They'll present a, a physical challenge for us. They press the ball really intensely. We need to be ready and we need to be fronting up to the challenge. We can't be starting this game slowly because I think Saints will make it difficult for us. But I'm confident. I think we won the game. I'm going to go for 3-1. I think they'll give us a bit of a scare. I think they might get a goal, but um, is this the game? Again. Is this the game in which we could see a break in the pattern in midfield? You mentioned their physical. Yes. You mentioned that you know they're going to be a tough side, and I'm just thinking I wouldn't take, I wouldn't take, I wouldn't go too crazy and take Matic out, but I think maybe I might, I would take Pogba out for the first half or so for an hour and start Fred. I think Fred's energy. Against a Hampton would be would be a big boost, and I think almost I know I know we're talking about Pogba being very disciplined and becoming of age, and that too. But just in the back of my mind, the the long term injury he's coming back from, the amount of games we're playing, Soldier is going to have to find a way of giving players little breaks, and I, I don't know how he's going to do it because we've see we see now how well things work when these three players are on the pitch, and like. He doesn't want to, to break any momentum. But also, he can't afford to get any of those players injured because if they're out for a sustained period of time, I don't know if we could go the next three games unbeaten without that midfield. I would bring McTominay in for Matic in this game. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I do. He's. Yeah. Um, I still think in the long run, people talking about us buying another holding midfielder. I actually happen to think McTominay is more than good enough to fulfil that role in the long term. I really do. But he brings, he's obviously he's a, a more formidable athlete, you would say, than Matic. He's quicker, closes people down. He's quite a vocal player as well, McTominay. So you, I don't think you'd lose, obviously, Matic. One of the things with Matic that, that has been really good is him organising, getting his teammates organised. McTominay is more than welcome, he's more than happy to get involved in that as well. Just brings more energy. And I think um, he would just allow us to, I think United press high anyway. But he would allow us to, to really keep that high press for longer. I think. But I think Fred's not a bad shout either. Again, would just allow you to really have a, a, a more furiously furious kind of high press. Um, part of me wonders whether at some point you do have to give Bruno a rest. 
little Dale, and maybe no, he's the guy. No, he <laughs> he's inhumane. He doesn't need rest. <laughs> he's just a machine, just keep what, going. <laughs> what was the game the other week in which we, I think we both kind of said that, yeah, he's looking a bit exhausted now, and people were saying it was probably his worst game. It's an Norwich game. Norwich game. Well, yeah. yeah. The game after that, he was fucking <laughs> sensational. He just, he, 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 I don't know why it is about him. He just never, just constantly going. And when, when you see him getting tired, in the 70 or 80th minute of a match, if you just appreciate what he's doing throughout the whole game. It's just like the one Bissaka thing, never drop him. One Bissaka always plays, yeah, rain or shine, <laughs> always because you know, just never stops. And just, just before we go, a word of, of appreciation for, for one of the substitutes last night, Anthony Martial. He came off the p- pitch mm. with a face like a bulldog licking piss off a nettle. And I think yeah, it was brilliant. He didn't get brilliant. a goal. Brilliant. He, he wanted a goal. A goal. Um, you, you, like, I don't want players coming up and being happy with just getting their appearance or even being just happy with, with the game being over and winning. I, he, he wasn't happy because he had to come off and it took his time away from playing football. That's a Manchester United player. And he's someone that you mentioned players getting better and becoming all around under Solskjaer. He's developed his game and I think they're showing signs that he's developed his personality too. He, yes. He's smiling. He's happy. I know he wasn't really smiling coming off the pitch, but I, I, I want him to be pissed off. I don't want yes. a player being happy coming off. One of the, the main things that we've not had, I don't like to use this word because I think it's misused a lot, but it's a really, it's, it's the right culture at the club. You know, players being really furiously competitive. Yeah. yeah. Wanting to play, wanting to score, always wanting to win, not wanting to miss a game. Not wanting to be subbed off, you know. I want to play all the time, you know. I, I just think let's go to that first game we had back for lockdown against um, against Spurs. Pogba came on and he came on and it was like, I'm sure you you have me sitting on a bench. You're not having me sitting on a bench. And he changed that game, Dale. He took that game by the scruff of the neck. He went, I'm not sitting. I'll make sure that you don't leave me on the bench for the next game. He was like coming out there. Like he had something to prove. I want to. That's what I want to see. You know, you think about winning teams. You've got to have that really good culture at the club. You talk about Marcia. I want them to see. Whenever I see one of Liverpool's front three get taken off in a game, they look furious about the fact that they've been taken off. Or when they come in when they've been left out for a game, they don't like the fact that they've been left out for a game. Yeah, that's what we it. need to have. Klopp has just told him to, to look that way because it, it goes towards his his heavy metal narrative. I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but on a, on a serious account, we're going to wrap that up. Um, I want to send my condolences or my best wishes to Jose Mourinho, who I believe is going through a very very stressful time right now. He looked. Uh, I like to send my condolences to, to Spurs fans for being lumbered with that guy. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. How can people follow you on social media? You can find me at underscore, uh, sorry, you can find me at Microsoft underscore Holmes. And you can also, I would encourage you all to follow the podcast at MUFC Podcast. Do you know, do you know just, that feels so weird. How can you follow, how can, how can people follow you on social media? It's a weird word. Do you, do you want people following you? Follow, <laughs> well, I'd rather they follow me on social media than follow me in person. Exactly. And they're in person, they, the people stayed as far away from me as they possibly can. And I don't mean in terms of the COVID pandemic, I just mean in general, just stay away from me.
<laughs> you can follow you can follow me on Twitter at O'Donnell Dale, um, and the same on the account at Straighty News, the podcast account too at Straightycast. We're going to start tweeting more from there about the podcast and and share more link, links to it. Maybe trying to get more of the listeners to get engaged and stuff. The Patreon, you can join us on Patreon and, and support this show, support this website. It's um, patreon.com forward slash straighty news. And one of the reasons which you should support the the website and the podcast um, is in the last week or so, we've produced over seven exclusives on the website. Um, one of those exclusives came last Friday night. You remember before United played Burnout on the Saturday, two big English newspapers broke the exclusive news that Paul Pogba and... Bruno Fernandes had collided in training and one of the papers actually said that he could miss the rest of the season but anyway the players were going to miss that game I did a bit of digging found out that they literally ripped this off a a satire parody website and I had it confirmed to me from a source at Manchester United that this was not true this was five minutes or ten minutes after they broke the exclusives we ran the report so our job is to give you the accurate news, give you all the updates, and with just a small fee on Patreon, you can support what we can do. And a busy summer coming up, the transfer window starts at the end of this month, or start next month, and we'll hopefully have updates on that. As well as that, this week, there is uh, exclusive interviews with Garrett Bale's agent, Jonathan Barnett, voted number one agent in world football by Forbes. Um, he speaks about his client. There's an award for that. It's just just a list, just a list. Um, so they've done. He's done an interview with us on his clients, Jack Grealish being one Manchester United target. He he spoke about Daniel James, another one of his players. So yeah, some interesting things from that. Check it out on StrikingNews.com and become a member on Patreon. It goes a long way. Mike, thanks for joining me this morning, and have a good weekend, mate. You too. Bye-bye. Hey, mate. Sports Social Podcast Network.